0: 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in your Bibles. 1 Thessalonians, we are, this will be our last Bible study in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We'll reference it maybe a few more times. Aren't you glad you got a Bible? Aren't you glad that God tells us uh, what he wants us to know? He gave us the Bible so we know how to get to heaven. We can know how to live after we know we're going to heaven. And I'm glad that God gives us insight, an inside track on future events. And he does that especially in the book of 1st Thessalonians and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians. There is no 1st Ephesians, 2nd Ephesians, or 1st Colossians or 2nd Colossians, but the Lord did give us and decided to put two letters of the church at Thessalonica and the church at Corinth in the Bible. The second letter of the church of Corinthians or 2nd Corinthians is probably to confirm and to encourage a, uh, a reproved carnal church, and you'll see that in the book of 2nd Corinthians. The, the, the book of Second Thessalonians primarily is to correct an, an, a forged letter that the church received between First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians. There had been some unbelieving people who wrote a letter to the church, and of course at that time, and signed Paul's name to it. And it wasn't true. And it was telling them that the resurrection or that the rapture had already come. And so God used that bad letter that came between the two for God to give a second Thessalonians so that we would uh, have our head screwed on straight regarding future events and tells us a lot of things that can be helpful to us. Of course, the book of 1 Thessalonians at the end of every one of the five chapters is a reference to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those of you who have been uh, studying with us, you understand uh, that uh, God wants us to anticipate his coming. I think for four main reasons. Number one, so that we would have patience of hope to continue through problems anticipating his return, Uh, even through suffering. We'll see that in chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians on our next time we study. But he wants us to have patience. when We know the Lord's coming back. When he comes, he's going to fix the problems, (laughs) and you're going to be with him. And uh, we'll leave this wicked, sin-cursed world and be with our Savior forever. That ought to give you hope and uh, patience to keep on going. Number two, whenever we live in the anticipation of Christ's coming, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, it causes us to purify ourselves, even as He is pure. It causes us to live a much more uh, pure life. And, of course, the coming of Christ... In the first coming or his rapture, in the Bible, it's not called rapture. It's called the blessed hope, especially in the book of Titus. The blessed hope, the anticipation that he's coming back. And that causes us to do two things. Number one, to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Number two, to help us to be zealous to do good things with the Lord. To work hard, to work for the Lord and with the Lord to be zealous of good works uh, while we anticipate his coming. And the last thing that God says in the book of the Revelation, he says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. And one of the things that you ought to be motivated, you don't work to go to heaven. You know, you cannot work your soul to save, for that the Lord hath done. But after you're saved, you can work like any slave, for the love of God's dear son. And we don't work our way to heaven, but we work because we're going to heaven. We don't work to get saved, we serve because we are saved. And there is a reward. I don't think it's something God says that, "I don't want you things for reward." That is the God wired us for that. If He didn't want us to have a reward, He wouldn't have told us so much about rewards in the Bible. And a good study sometimes is to find out how many times you see God rewarding His servants. And heaven is not a reward. There is rewards in heaven, but in heaven is not a reward. Heaven's a gift. But uh, service, love, motives will be rewarded when we stand before God one day. If that was the case, there would be no need for the judgment seat of Christ. But as we anticipate his coming, there's several things that just excite me. And, of course, we see there are just a reminder. There is uh, the rapture of the church, and that's when God comes for his saints, He sends his son Jesus, and we meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Then we find that he's coming seven years later, approximately. And by the way, when he comes for his saints in the Bible, you'll see that termed, I believe, most regularly as the day of Christ. Okay, The day of Christ, he comes for his saints, and we are raptured with him. Of course, that will commence seven years of tribulation on this earth, seven years of celebration in heaven with God and uh, with the, uh, the judgment seat of Christ. Then there is seven years later a coming, the second coming of Christ, and that's when he's coming back to earth, and he's coming with a vengeance. He's got work to do. He's got a world to conquer, and he's coming with his mighty angels. He'll be drawing those who have been saved in the tribulation period from all over the the four corners of the earth, and his angels are going to work with him, and he'll come back, you'll come back with him, and will commence a thousand years reign with the Lord. We call that the day of the Lord. Over here is the day of Christ. Over here, the day of the Lord. Two different distinct days. Uh, The prophets of the Old Testament and Jesus spoke much about the day of the Lord. And uh, the day of Christ is much more themed in the Apostle Paul's writing. We write about that. He does mention that three times in our Bible, Acts chapter two, and uh, then in, in uh, Second Peter mentions it in Second in Second Peter chapter three, and it's mentioned here in Second uh, Thessalonians. We'll see about that the next time we read the study. But today is a little more practical. Paul is definitely practical and gives some bullet points. He's teaching doctrinal truths. And he, before he concludes this, um, this study uh, of 1 Thessalonians, he goes through and says, let me just give you some bullet points on how to live the Christian life while you wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a fun list. Fourteen things that he gives imperatives. When you see the word imperatives in English language, it's a command. It's something he tells you, do this, like rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing, you know, uh, despise not prophesying. These are just a three of the 14 things that he tells us to do. And if you say, well, Pastor, I want to be a good Christian. Boy, this is 14 lists of things you can work on. I think the best way to get them is to be spirit-filled rather than try to do the list. But to say, Lord, please help me, the Spirit of God to lead me so I'll do these things correctly. Let's look at them if we can, please. Of course, he has already talked in chapter 5. We went through verses 1 through 11. And um, I'm glad that verse number 10 says he died for us, that whether we wake or we're asleep, we should live together with him. And I, you can look at that two ways. One, whether you are alive when he comes back or you're in the grave when he comes back, I prefer to think that's probably talking about whether you're living wholly for the Lord and you're saved or you're living like an idiot as a saved person. He's going to take you to heaven because you're not saved by your works, you're saved by grace and by an encounter with His Son, Jesus Christ, and accept Him as your Savior. Verse number 11, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. By the way, one of your responsibilities as a child of God is to comfort and edify each other. Um, just finished uh, two funerals. Now, I want to thank you. Several of you have texted me. Pastor, we're praying for you this week. I know it's difficult, and it has been some challenging times, and we still have several more uh, memorial services I think three between now and Saturday. And uh, we're asking the Lord for help, and I'm certainly praying for Brother Gennaro and Brother Evodio and their families, and then, of course, those who are uh, the Harper family, precious people. And uh, then, Brother Roland Cormier is having a special memorial service for his wife and others that have lost loved ones. And so we're, gonna, we're doing that, but the truth of the matter is, uh, whenever we, we, we get together, you comfort one another, and that's okay. And you're supposed to exhort and edify one another. One of the reasons you come to church is not just to sit, soak, and listen. You ought to come with, a, with an anticipation, who can I encourage? Who can I bless? Who can I encourage? When you come, it would be good to bring a note with you. Sometimes pastor does that. I'll bring a note to give to somebody and in the audience. I'm thinking, okay, I've thought about them. I pray for them. If I see them at church, I want to give them a note. Sometimes you do that. I think it's good. If you go by the nursery, don't stop. Don't don't, don't uh, just walk by. Stop by and say, girls, thank you for watching the nursery. You see a security guard that's been walking around and, and crossing crossing uh, traffic in the middle of a cold day. Boy, when you see them, certainly don't disrespect them, but always appreciate what they do. You see the medical team. You see somebody who plays an orchestra or sings in the choir making their way down. Say, boy, that was good. That helped us. I appreciate that. Well, do what we can to make sure that... Um, that we, uh, we encourage one another. The Bible tells us, forsake not the assemble of yourselves together as a man or some is. See, some people just don't go to church. They're saved, they're going to heaven, but they have chosen in this lifetime that they're not going to be faithful to the house of God. Boy, it grieves me. For their sake. We miss them, but I think God's grieved and they're going to be grieved. They're going to be glad and wish they would have instead of glad they did. But he said, he said some people I know, the, whoever wrote the, Apostle, the, 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 the book of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit of God says, look, Don't forsake going to church, like some people do. But so much the more, exhorting one another as you see the day approaching. Once again, what day is he talking about? The day when you're going to stand before God. He's talking about the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. As you see that day coming, you ought to be more faithful to church. And when you come to church, come not to come, get blessed. And once in a while I hear people pray and say, Pastor, I pray, hope the pastor has something good for us tonight. Hope we'll enjoy the service. Hope it'll be a good service. Well, that's all right. We want it to be a good service, and I understand what people mean, but the truth of the matter is you ought to come with a blessing to share. You ought to come with a testimony, an encouragement, a prayer, to exhort one another. One of the reasons I think we pray together is because I think there's something. It was when Jesus prayed that one of his disciples said, you know what, I need to do it like that. I was rejoicing one of our men decided they were going to join this, And by, I gave you the wrong person to talk to, Brother, Brother uh, Roy Moffitt helps us with the Aaron and Herb ministry. If there's some of you men who would say, you know, I'll give one service a month to come and pray together underneath the pulpit for what's going on above the pulpit. And, boy, you got a lot to pray about when I'm standing up here for sure. So, uh, boy, I need a lot more guys down there for sure. But you, you want to do that? That would be a great idea. Some other guys have signed up in the last couple weeks and said, I'll do that. I'll give that time to do that. I think it's wonderful. Wonderful to do it. But we exhort one another when we pray together. Well, the Bible says, I want you to comfort one another and exhort one another. Let's go to verse number 12. Here's more admonition. And we beseech you. And he uses, of course, with this is the hinge and it's a conjunction. And he's kind of tra- t- he's talking about all the things that we're talking about, encouraging, one another. and I beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. He so said, I want you to be familiar with people that serve as your leaders and as your colleagues. I want you to be familiar. I want you to know them. I want you to, to, uh, to know who they are and, and be familiar with them. That's why in a church our size, sometimes uh, the, the, it's difficult to get with everybody. But listen, you know, you, know how you, get with, you know how you get to learn people when you serve with them? You know who the choir members know the best? Choir members. Yeah, they know them the best because they're serving with them. You know, people who go on Saturday Soul Winning, you know who they know? They know the people in that room. They get to know them a lot better. Fisherman Club, they know Fisherman Club. Foster Club, they know Foster Club. Ladies Soul Winning, they know Ladies Soul Winners. And serving together does something. You know, bus workers, they know bus workers. They're familiar with who's in that situation. But I want you to know your spiritual leaders and those who are among you. Look at verse 13. Read it out loud with me together, would you please? And to esteem them very highly in love and be at peace among yourselves. He said, I want you to esteem them very highly in love for what they do for God. One of the greatest, uh, greatest, I, I don't maybe I shouldn't say greatest, but one of the most admirable marks of maturity that I see in Christian people is when they really admire their colleagues. They appreciate what they're doing. I am sick to death of people criticizing and and venting on everybody and everything. Listen, grow up. I don't have time to go around and criticize all these other pastors. There's there's lots of pastors I love, and we don't cross our T's and dot our I's exactly like each other, and I don't even agree with everything I do. Good night. Good night. There's so many many mistakes I've made in in my years of serving the Lord, and I'm glad that I'm not continually evaluated by everybody else. There are things I've done that I probably shouldn't have done that. When you open your mouth as much as I open my mouth, I make mistakes and eat shoe leather all the time. It's miserable. But the truth of the matter is, I think one of the marks of maturity is to know people that are in the Lord's work and to esteem them very highly in love. Why? For what they do for Jesus for what they're doing I thank God for people who speak of the service to the Lord in, in Germany because I couldn't do that if my life depended upon it I thank, thank God for what people are doing I, I'm not so I, I think there are some great men of God of years gone by who who probably I, I don't know I can't figure it all out but boy God used them I Think of brother John Alt who I preached the funeral for yesterday and he was an uh, mortician. He was working for Mr. Harry Moore down in Indianapolis at a, at, uh, at a, uh, after he finished uh, phlebotomy and all the things that go with uh, embalming bodies. And He was working for Mr. Moore. Mr. Moore was not a Christian, and, uh, but his wife was. And Mrs. Moore had a burden for John. All kept telling him about Jesus, kept telling him about Jesus. And yeah, 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 yeah. Finally, she said, she said John, Billy Graham is going to be in Indianapolis. I want you to go to that meeting. And at that meeting, John Alt got saved. Well, there are some things about Billy Graham. I could probably tell you a few things. I disagree strongly about it. But you know, the truth of the matter is, I should esteem him very highly in love for what reason? For what God used him to do. There are people going to be all over heaven that maybe we wouldn't agree with and didn't do everything. But I, I tell you, don't waste your breath telling everybody how you feel about it. Don't you just decide, you know what? I just think I'll just draw a circle around myself and ask God to keep revival in that circle. <laughs> Esteem others very highly in love. And if you hear me being critical sometimes, unjust, I hope you'll, you'll, you'll lovingly tell me, Pastor, I, I notice you're getting critical. I don't want to be that way. I don't want you to be that way. I want us to understand. And there are some folks we can't walk together unless we be agreed. But doesn't mean I have to throw any mud over there. To, every, to his own master, let him stand or fall. And we need to make sure that we stay on page. They said, look, Know the people that are laboring among you and those that are over you in the Lord and esteem them very highly in love for what they do for God. I want you to notice the last thing in that verse number 13. Would you look at it? And be at peace among yourselves. Boy, a church is blessed by peacemakers. We got, a, we got our share of drama mamas. Some of the biggest drama mamas are men. Oh, everybody's got their opinion. They're stirring it up, and hey, this guy is venting about me. This girl's venting over here. She just had a place to vent. Listen, knock that off. If you've got a problem, let's go talk to the person who can do something about it. You know what gossip is? Gossip is saying something negative about a situation to someone that can do nothing about that problem. If, I, I think you can't always be positive. I mean, you, you we're going to see just a moment. The next verse tells us we can't always be positive. But it would work to peace. Be at peace among yourself. And you know, some folks are not at peace because they're not at peace. They're all stirred up on the inside, and that's why they can't have peace. Wherever they go, they create drama. Go to the nursery, there's drama. Go to Sunday school class, there's drama. Go to the staff meeting, there's drama. Go to Sunday school meeting, bus meeting, there's drama. And, and, and they think it's everybody else's fault. Like the guy that went to the doctor said, doctor, I'm, I'm, I'm dying. I've got pain, ow, oh, and here, ah, oh, and ah, oh, oh, I'm hurting all over them. Am I going to die? He says, no, but your finger's infected. <laughs> it's wherever you touch it. That's well, how, that's how people are. They, they go to the place, those people over there, those people over there. It's everybody else's fault. It's my roommate. It's my bus captain. It's this person. Look at this. Everybody's a bunch of hypocrites. No, they're not, but everybody else is. And they create all kinds of drama in those situations. And God says, I want you to highly esteem those around you. And then be at peace. Work for it. Peace does not come because you want it. Peace comes because you make it. Blessed are the peace makers. It's something that has to be worked at. And you have to overcome selfishness. You have to overcome pride. Only by pride cometh. You know, you can just find out when you're having contention... When you're discontent and you're frustrated and you're, and, and you're fine and everybody else has got, got all kinds of problems on there, listen, we're all a bunch of dirt pots. You might have more dirt in your pot at my do at one given time, or I might have more on mine, but it doesn't really matter. We're all a mess. We all got issues, but work for peace. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. Very practical, very convicting. Should we just stop right now or should we keep going? What do you think? All right, keep going. bunch of hypocrites, I'm telling you. Here we go. Ready? Let's look at the next one, if we can, please. Verse number uh, 14. Now we exhort you, brethren. We, we're, we're challenging you. And here's, here's the thing. Warn them that are those who are not walking orderly. And I think it's on the context of people who are not, who are drama mamas. People who are not keeping the peace. They're unruly. They're playing outside the lines. They're not, they're not, they're not keeping the proverbial rules, that's what unruly means. They're, they're causing problems. He said, warn them. Now, you can't do too much beyond. But I think I, I, unless there is things that go into a sinful state where that needs to be dealt with. But I think most of the time, it would be helped occasionally. He said, look, I exhort you, brethren. If you find someone out of line, warn them and say, I don't, I don't think you want to do that, buddy. There's a bad end to that kind of an attitude. Let's pray for that person rather than criticize them. Let's pray for them. I'm sure there's some, there's lots of problems there, but let's ask God to help them. But would to God I can't stand friends like that, but I need them. <laughs> I remember one time I had a, had a good friend like that, and I was just going off and telling him what I think about everything, and he said, "John, those are good people. Why don't you just pray for them?" Okay, <laughs> uh, ripped my face off very quietly, you know. But. Uh, He says, warn the unruly. People that are out of line, tell them. That's what a friend does. A friend helps another friend do what he's supposed to do. He said, warn the unruly. Then he says, comfort the feeble-minded. And you know, in every church, and I joke around this, but I'm going to tell you a joke that I say sometimes, the gospel net, it draws some strange bugs. Have you ever noticed that? When you throw a big net out and try to get everybody saved, you're going to get some weirdos in that situation. How many of you qualify as a weirdo? You would agree with that. Okay. You got caught up in the gospel net. That's what I did, right? Let me just tell you something, and, and I, I, here's what I thank God for. I thank God for people who are comforting the feeble-minded. I want to say a big shout-out to anybody who serves in the Pathfinder department. And some of them have done it for decades. Some of you need to do it starting Get, get, to, get to see Brother Keith, say, so I think I need to get into that situation. The least of these, the folks that wave out loud and, and uh, you know, cough loud and don't know hurling, you know, those people need the Lord, and boy, they ought to be as welcome here as anybody else. Thank God for people who would go to nursing homes. Just a few weeks, I feel confident Brother Aaron is going to be allowed to get in some of those nursing homes. And some of the first churches to get in there, I think we're going to have a great opportunity that means somebody needs to be standing ready to go, give me one. I'll get my friends and we'll go do that. We'll do that Saturday morning. We'll do that Saturday afternoon. We'll get over there and to do this and give me a nursing home. Let, let's go over there and sing some songs and love some people and push some wheelchairs down. Say, Pastor, these folks are never going to come to church. They won't even give us money or they'll not help us. And they have a soul that needs the gospel. And they're, close to the, they're closer to eternity than many of us. But I say, Lord, oh, give me that opportunity. I love seeing people get involved with that. Comfort the feeble mind. Support the weak. None of us are all clicking on all eight cylinders all the time. We go through t- difficult times where we're weakened. Some are weakened by sin. Some are weakened by illness. Some are weakened by emotional stress and challenges and doubt and fear. But We need to support each other during that time. Here's the admonition. He says, I'm exhorting you, brethren. If you find someone out of line, verbally, Challenge them, warn them. He said, "If you got somebody who's if they're feeble-minded, or a little bit weak in between the ears, we'll, we'll comfort them. You got someone that's weak, we'll support them." Don't say, "Well, that's just not my ministry. That's your ministry. That's my ministry. That's everybody's ministry." Look at the next verse, if we can please, and look at verse 15: "See that none render evil to evil for any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men." And you just don't go tit for tat. You don't give evil for evil. Well, he said this to me, so I did that. He he put this on his blog, I'm putting this on my blog. He said this, she said this, so I'm going to do that. No, he said, no, 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 do that. you're off your rug. Vengeance is mine. If God has to fix someone's wagon, he knows how to do it without your assistance, without my assistance. Don't give evil for evil. Follow that which is good in the sight of all men. By the way, when you get in a spat with somebody, people watch what you do and what you say. And when you put something out there or you say something, other people get to see that. And it's not good. It's not good advertising for the Lord. And I think we ought to be very, very careful what we say, what we put on, what we put on our social media, what we, what we do, how you, how you present yourself, what, what pictures you put up, what situations, what jokes you make, all those things, because they'll be in the sight of the Lord and they'll be in the sight of all men. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. Can we follow along in verse number 16? And let's read it together. Ready? Rejoice! Oh, that was a great verse, isn't it? Wish you. I, I heard someone give him quarters for verses they memorized. I'd like to learn that one right there. But you know, this has to do with just basically being a positive person. Quit being a complainer, a griper. Quit drawing the drawing the life out of an institution, a family, because you got you just negative. He said, "Rejoice." He sang the song, I rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistake. Of course, another passage of Scripture, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Anybody can find fault and problems. It's all over the place. We live in a sin-cursed world. But God's people should operate and march to the beat of a different drum. We ought to be positive people rejoicing. You know, when it snows, I may not like it. But some little kid grabs a sled and says, I've been waiting for this. My whole, I've been waiting for this for a long time. You know, when it rains on your little, your little birthday party, some farmer is saying, thank you, Lord. Boy, I needed this rain. When things go negative to you, it's somewhat it's a positive for somebody else. So look on, look on that. Don't look at life just and how it affects you and what's going on. And sometimes you've got some people who are sick, and I saw Becky Madense say she's not happy she has breast cancer. But she's saying, Pastor, I got to talk to the person that uh, helped me in the hospital, and she got saved. It was a bad day for her, but it's a good day eternally for that lady that heard the gospel. So he said, you can find things to rejoice. He'll say that in the next verse. In the next couple verses, he'll say in everything, give, for this is the will of God. You know, that's a decision to give thanks. You find depressed people, they can't find a blooming thing to be thankful for. I've said in my office a few folks, let's talk about some things we can thankful for. (laughs) Nothing, nothing, nothing. I said, no, there's some thinking. And then one to sit one person, like 15 minutes, they didn't already say anything. I said, I'm not leaving until you find something, you know. And about 15 minutes later, he finally said something positive, hallelujah. But rejoice evermore. The next thing, pray without... It means it ought to be a part of incessant prayer. I just, I'm just i in this attitude of prayer. I'm praying. I can pray when I'm driving. I can pray when I wake up in the morning. I can have that communication. I think it's good to have a prayer time. I think it's much more valuable to have a prayer life. Have a life of prayer, a communication that's open with God. Just do something. You shouldn't say, Lord, ah, that was wrong. I shouldn't have seen that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. That was wrong. Having a critical thought towards someone, the Spirit of God says, ah, Come on, John. Ah, You're right, God. I shouldn't have said that. Please forgive me. Let God help you. Be in a communication with the Lord. It's a, it's a lifelong prayer. Its essence is communicating with your Father. It's just it's a talk with Him, and He's always with you. Look at the next one, if you would, please. And everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. You want to know the will of God? Some people say, I want to do the will of God. Give thanks. Three minutes. Let's look through it quickly. Number 19. Quince not the spirit. And, of course, the word here in the King James Bible is capitalized. And when God's doing something, don't put cold water on it. Somebody gets saved, don't yawn your way out of the building. Someone's getting baptized, don't try to get to the, to get to the restaurant before everybody else does. Be happy. Qu- don't quince the spirit. When you hear something good about something, rejoice with them. Rejoice with those who do rejoice. Weep with those that weep, but certainly. Whatever you do, when, some, when a 10-year-old comes forward and says, I think God's called me to preach, don't say, well, he'll get over it. No, don't, qu- don't cold, cold water on that situation. When you see someone coming, I think a beautiful couple. I mentioned them already. They're, they're, they're taking discipleship tonight. They missed on Sunday because of the cold weather and because of the winter, and they came on Wednesday night to make discipleship. Well, if you see them in the hallway, you got to say, that's wonderful. I am so glad. Don't you think the devil, you think the devil's doing the same thing? He's on the other side of that fence. And when someone says, I feel like God's calling me to do something, say, amen. I'll be praying about that. That's great. Don't say, ah, no, that'll never work. We don't need you to do that. And you don't want to quench the spirit. What's the next thing the Bible tells us? Verse number 20, despise not prophesying. Of course, at this time of history, when this was written, the Bible, the New Testament was not formed. And so they they would be preaching. But preaching would be coming from men who were anointed by God. And of course, I believe there's a cessation of the, the gift of prophecy in its original form once we have the Bible. He said there'll be, there'll, there'll be tongues, but they'll cease. there'll be prophecies, they'll vanish away, there'll be knowledge, and it will stop. But there'll always be a Bible. And in the time it was baby talk, so when the church was young, when it was a child, it spake like a child. When it became a man, it put away childish things. When it learned to read, and got a Bible, It didn't need the prophets, didn't need someone to speak in tongues, did not need the knowledge, someone to discern those things. They had it all right in black and white with the scriptures. But uh, these are things that the Bible teaches is there. But it says, don't, don't despise hearing preaching, hearing your Sunday school teacher, listening to the word of God. Look at verse 21, prove all things, evaluate everything, and hold fast to that which you know to be good, evaluate things, prove all things, and say, you know, this is, this is what God wants me to do, and I'm going to do it. 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. We could spend all night on these thoughts, but just if something is, if it's questionable, if it's doubtful, don't do it. If, it, if it. if it's not the best thing, we'll take the best over the good. Some of us take good over best. Well, I don't care. I don't care what people think about you. You need to care what people think about you. Said, so avoid, abstain from all what? Appearance, what it looks like. What does it look like? The dress is too short, girls, Stop wearing short dresses. You know? Well, I don't care. I can put whatever I want. You can do whatever you want to do. That's right. But you, here's a verse that says, you know, if, it, if it's questionable, don't do it. When you look at that situation, and say, is this what God wants? Is this the best thing? If it's avoidable and it's not, not best, then take the best. And avoid any appearance of evil. Um, next, next thought there, the very God of peace sanctify you holy wraps it all up. He said, the very God that uh, offers us peace cleans us, and I pray your whole spirit, soul, and body. Interesting, we always say body, soul, and spirit. God says spirit, soul, body, and that's the kind of the way we should live our life in that in that order. Letting the Holy Spirit of God control our soul, and our soul controls our body as being directed by the Holy Spirit of God, and preserved blameless into the coming of our Lord Jesus. That's the fifth time he's speaking of the rapture of the church there. And then, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Uh, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. And, of course, that is a Middle Eastern term. And it, uh, it says holy there, so it has no impropriety, no impurity implied. It's a genuine greeting that oftentimes they'll do in the Middle East. And I'm kind of glad we don't do it here in the Western culture. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren, everyone who belongs to God. That's what holy means. If you belong to God, I hope you get to read this letter. And let it be read to every church. Take it around, let everybody get a a hold of it. Read it and apply it. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.